Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you today. Uh, what a nice day, huh? It's going to be a scorcher. You know, when you get up and then walk across the lawn and, like, the dew is already, like, evaporated, it's like, oh, no. <laughs> I try not to be a Syracusean all the time, but I am such a Syracusean. What is that, you say? Not just someone who lives in Syracuse, but someone who lives in Syracuse and complains about each of the seasons. We complain about, it's too cold, it's too rainy, it's too hot, it's too windy, I hate this place, this is a great place to be from, you know. But uh, today's a great day. It's sunny out, it's hot, it's wonderful, I promise. Go find a body of water. As for me in my house, I'll be like a manatee floating in Pop-Up's pool. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. All right. We are in Leviticus uh, chapter 7. Yes, we're still in Leviticus. I had a pastor friend of mine who said, where are you guys in the Bible? And I was like, uh, we're in Leviticus. He's like, are people still coming? And I said, they're few. Well, the beauty of the Old Testament and the beauty of studying the law uh, is that it points us to the man, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, in the law of, the, of what we call the Old Covenant, uh, we have all of the rules and the regulations for the order and conduct of a person's life as it related to one another and most importantly as it related to their relationship with God. And the rules were lengthy. And the conducts concerning the worship of God and how we must come to God were lengthy. And they were arduous. And it was task after task after task. Uh, and I think part of the reason for all of that was that God wanted to wear people out. Uh, you know, when finally the church council meets together to deal with the issue of what are we to do with these Gentiles that are getting saved? You know what I mean? It's like, guess who's coming to church? You know, now because these Gentiles are walking in with all sorts of piercings and tags. It's kind of like today. It's kind of like modern America, you know. All these Gentiles are coming in, and you've got to understand these Jews who had only ever understood and only ever had temple worship and all of the entrapments of that, of that religious system and the propriety of it. And now here comes these wild-eyed Gentiles, you know what I mean? We're part of the kingdom too. Oh, no. Oh, my heavens. And so naturally what sprung from that was a whole group of legalists that we've got to get, we got to bring these Gentiles to heal. And so these, uh, this whole sect that were called the Judaizers were going around and they were going from Gentile church to Gentile church, and they were telling them it's not enough just to believe in Jesus Christ. You also have to be circumcised, congratulations, and you have to follow the laws of Moses. And this gave the Apostle Paul fits. I mean, literally, he was fit to be tied about it. At times in the epistles, he becomes angry about it. And he stops calling them the circumcision. He starts calling them the mutilation. Uh, and you got to understand, from the mindset of a Jewish person in this day, but especially in that day, to take what was sacred and what had been given to, to Abraham and then passed down from generation to generation through Moses all the way to the time of Christ, which was circumcision on the eighth day, and to be calling it the mutilation... They hated Paul. They couldn't stand the guy because in their minds and, and, and from, their, from their standpoint, he was making light of the law. He was taking the law and he was trivializing it. Not, not only was he trivializing it, he was telling the Gentiles, you don't need to follow the rules of the law of the Old Testament, of what we call the Old Testament. And you don't have to be circumcised. 
And it was driving the religious Jewish people who made up the bulk of the church up until these Gentile churches started growing and just expounding and expanding and exploding all over the known world at that time. It gave them fits because it seemed to them that there's got to be more. You know, all that had gone into their upbringing and their religious training and what it took to come to God, what it took. And Paul never backed down. And Paul never changed his message, and he never stopped contending and fighting for the faith that was given to them, which was this, that all of the old law, all of what we call the old covenant, everything that was written down that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, and all the tablets and commandments of the law, and all of the sacrifices and the entrapments of the temple, and every part of that worship, all of it was bound up in Jesus Christ. That he had accomplished all of these things. And there's a portion of scripture that says, there cannot be the bringing forth of a new testament without the death of the testator. That is, when someone writes a will, it doesn't go into effect until what? They die. And so this new covenant was brought into being, was brought into effect by the death of Jesus Christ. And that testament, that will, guess who it went to? Guess who it was given to? You and me and the Gentile church, all these wild-eyed crazies that in times past could never draw near to God, could never enter into the tabernacle and then later the temple to worship God, lest they be consumed or stoned by the people. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross and when he cried out those final words, it is finished, the weight and the power and the depth of those words that he spoke literally saying, it is paid in full and now the New Testament is delivered to the saints. That's why at that moment the Bible tells us that the temple in the, in the, the veil in the temple, which was right here, that separated the holy place from the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant stood, and where the glory of God abode, and where no one could go in save once a year to sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat of the Ark, lest they be consumed, that curtain was torn, the Bible says, from top to bottom. It was rent in two, exposing the holy place. And what was God teaching us? The way to God has been made. And now we can, all of us, enter freely into the very presence of God because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for you and for me. All of this, everything that we're studying in Leviticus, understand the depth of it, see the trouble of it, see the difficulty of it, understand how easy it would be to veer off to the left or to the right, or in your case, to the left and to the right, and go off into, into, into being far from God. Because, you know, and it's, it's interesting that when the, the council of, of church fathers met together to decide what are we going to do, what are we finally going to give as a list of rules for the Gentile church, Peter at one point stands up and says, why would we, and you all know this portion, most of you, why would we put a burden on the Gentiles that neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? In other words, Peter was saying, even those of us who grew up in the synagogue and going to temple and learning under rabbis and understanding the covenant of Moses, 
Even those of us who grew up in this religious system were unable to keep it. That's why it was sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice that was continually being offered. Because the sins continued. The sins never stopped. Even when I'm trying to do the right things, I still blow it. And so we have the trespass offerings. Well, those things that you didn't even know that you did wrong, but then when you find out that you did them wrong, there's still an offering that has to be made. Why? Because the price has to be paid. God is a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a just God. And his commandments are forever. And they stand through everything. And there is no way around the commandments of God. And there is no way over or under the commandments of God. It is an impenetrable wall that none of us can get through simply because of the fact that we all sin. And the Bible tells us this. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Everyone. The idea was that you're supposed to understand, well, it's impossible it's impossible. Remember when Jesus Christ, after he had talked to the rich young ruler, and he went away and he said, I'm telling you, it is a hard thing for a wealthy person to come into the kingdom of God. In fact, I'm telling you, it's harder for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for the camel, a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, because, of, because of how great and vast wealth can consume one's life. And remember, Peter, perplexed, says to the Lord, well, well, then who can be saved? And, he, and Jesus has this aha moment with Peter. Ah, well, I'm glad you asked, Pete. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And when he spoke to his disciples about them marveling at the miracles that he did, he said, you marvel at these miracles, you will perform greater miracles than this. You'll be even be able to say to this mountain, be removed from your place. Well, Jesus wasn't calling the disciples to walk around, watch this, I'm going to move this mountain. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about the miracle of a changed life, the miracle of a changed heart, the miracle, how great a miracle it is that God can take someone like me, who is a sinner, sold into sin from the day of my birth, who wallowed in it and reveled in it, and he can take me out of the mire, out of the dungeon, out of the pit, and put me into his glorious light and wash me and make me clean. Not because now all of my motives and all of my actions are right and pure, <laughs> but because Jesus Christ is my atonement. You see? The sacrifices had to be offered day after day after day after day. But Jesus' blood, the Bible tells us, was shed once. And for all time, it covers you. When you ask Jesus to come into your heart and into your life to be your Lord and Savior, that's what we call being born again. The Bible says you are now uh, taken from darkness and delivered into his marvelous light because of the power of the cross, because of the power of Jesus' sacrifice. And now, every single day when I wake up having blown it yesterday, I can say, Lord, it, 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 it's me again. And he's like, I see you. Yep. Uh, about yesterday. <laughs> May have went a tad astray. You're forgiven. Is Jesus still your Lord and Savior? Do you still believe, son? Oh, I believe. Forgiven. 
But what do I have to do? Do I have to crawl on my knees through broken glass? Surely. At least I should slap myself a couple of times, right? No, no. It's the kingdom's soul, you understand. It's like someone bringing to you a painting by Picasso, an original work that no one has ever seen before. And so you understand that this is Picasso, and you know right away that there is no cost, that this is a priceless thing, that there's, this is something that no one could ever put value on because it is beyond monetary value. And a person was to bring it to you and say, here, I want you to have this. Imagine the insult to that person if you were to say to them, well, I got a hundred bucks here. Let me at least make it worth your trouble. You have now rejected the gift and you've insulted the gift giver. Because you can never in a billion years pay for this gift. And that is what the gift of Jesus Christ is to us. Ladies and gentlemen, there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing that we can do to attain to it. We simply believe in it and seek to live in it, to bask in it, in all of our imperfections, in all of the sins that still hold us down, and all the things that we struggle with day after day, to bring all of it to the Lord and say, here I am, with all of the good, all of the bad, and all of the ugly, and I give myself to you. It's enough, and you're accepted. That is the gospel, man. That is the gospel, and it is good news. Now, in Leviticus chapter 7, we're going to be starting, we're going to be picking up all the way down in verse 28, and we're talking still about the peace offering and the rules and regulations for it. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, he who offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offering. His own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the beast, or excuse me, with the breast, he shall bring. And the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. And the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. Also, the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifice sacrifices of your peace offerings. He among the sons of Aaron who offers the blood of the peace offering and the fat shall have the right thigh for his part. For the breast of the heave of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering I have taken from the children of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offerings and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons from the children of Israel by a statute forever. This is the consecrated portion for Aaron and his sons from the offerings made by fire to the Lord on the day when Moses presented them to minister to the Lord as priests. The Lord commanded this to be given to them by the children of Israel on, that, on the day that he anointed them by a statute forever throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the consecrations and the sacrifice of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day when he commanded the children of Israel to offer their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Whew. Right? Wow. So 
understand first, when we're talking about the peace offerings, this is not something that you just show up at the tabernacle and say, hey, I want to offer up a peace offering. I want to be cool with God. I want to be okay with God. I want to have fellowship with God, so I'm here to offer up my peace offerings. Uh-uh-uh. Before you did that, your sin had to be dealt with. Your trespass had to be dealt with. There had to be a fellowship offering. And then the peace offering came after that. There was a step process to get to that place with God. The first thing, first and foremost, that had to be done was you had to offer up a sacrifice for sin. There had to be atonement from sin. There had to be a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin, is what the children of Israel were taught and what we've been taught as well. And after all of those sacrifices have been made, now you can have fellowship offering and a peace offering with God. This is the person whose sin has been atoned for, whose sin has been, the sacrifice has been made for, and now this is above and beyond. This is, I don't just want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to have fellowship with God. I want to have peace with God. God always offers a way all the way in. Even in the Old Covenant, he offered a way all the way in to be as close to God as they could possibly be. To go beyond just the fact that, hey, look, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I mean, that's, that's the main theme that people think of when they think of being a Christian. What's the point of Jesus? What's the point of the cross? What's the point of asking him into our heart? Well, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I want to be forgiven so I can go to heaven. And that's great, all right? And that's a good enough reason. I want to go to heaven. I really do. I want to go to heaven. I want to know that when I die... As Dad always teaches us, to be absent from the body, Paul says, I would must rather be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. I want to know, I want to have insurance that when I die, whether it's from my heart exploding or whether it's from a terrible dirt bike crash or one of these, our car crash, or anything. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, life is so fragile. You say, you ride those stupid dirt bikes for? What are you, some sort of a moron? Well, first of all, yes. Okay, a little bit. Okay, all right. <laughs> a little bit. But... You're going to die of something. All of us. All of us. It is a fact of life. And, and we know how fragile life is. We are touched by it. If you haven't been touched by it yet, you're going to be. A family member or a friend. And all of a sudden, the prognosis comes in. It's pancreatic cancer. It's colon cancer. It's spread throughout your body and you've got three months. We've heard this too much. But we know that it's possible. Life is fragile. I want to know. I want to know that on that day, when the doctor says, you know, it's, it's it. You, you get your affairs in order. That I can look to the heavens and say, I'm coming home. And friend, I'm here to tell you I believe that with all of my heart. Because I've had fellowship with him. In all of my wickedness, he's allowed me to have fellowship with him and to see him and to feel his presence in my life and in my heart. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when that day comes, I'm going to be with him in glory. But God wants more than that with you. What is marriage? It's two people that live in the same house until the day that they die. Happy ever after, right? What? What do you mean? That's it? That's all Mary. Well, you got to have kids, too. You know, that's fun, ladies. 
We get to push out some of these, 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 little, these little creatures, you know. And, and you live together. And, wait a second, wait a second. If that's all marriage is, no wonder people are getting divorced like crazy. I want something more than that with my wife. I mean, I can't speak for her, but I want something more than that, right? No, I want to get up in the morning and I want to roll over and poke her and poke her. Hey, what are you doing today? What's going on today? And she rolls over and says, go brush your teeth and we'll talk about it. <laughs> and I want to share with her. You know, I, I talk to people and they, 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 some people look at me crossroads and I say that, you know, that Nikki will just I'll pick up my phone and start going through my phone. And I don't have to, like, run from across the room and go, no, you know what I mean? And the reason that she does that is because I'm a dude, and I already mentioned the fact that I'm kind of dumb, right? And so I don't tell her everything. I thought I told her everything. I didn't tell her everything. And so she'll go through all of my texts and my emails and stuff like that. Why? She wants to know. She wants to know every single thing. Believe me, she, she trusts me. We have complete faith in one another. She knows that I'm not going to, I mean, first of all, <laughs> nobody's looking for me, okay? <laughs> Second of all, she is my wife. I adore her. I only want to be with her until the day that I die or the Lord comes and gets us. She knows that, and I know that, and I want her to be all the way inside, and I'm willing to accept the fact that I'm just dense enough to not give her all the information that she wants. And I'll see her going through my phone, and I never go, what's none of your business? I put a passcode on there for a reason, you know. No, no. I want her to know me. And believe me, she knows me, the poor thing. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So she can pray for me. So she can hold me accountable. I love my wife for that. When she walks by me, and she grabs my belly and goes, whoa, chubs. I know, it's time to start a diet. Another failed diet. <laughs> But listen, you say, well, that was how rude. No, she's my wife. And she's not saying, okay, it's time to go on a diet. We're going to call it lose weight or get out of the house. No, she wants me to live. She wants me to be healthy. She wants me to be there. That's what I want forever. And that's what God wants us to have with our spouses. But that's what God wants us to have with him. Don't miss the boat. Don't think to yourself that God wants to just establish. That is, that is like, should be, that's like in the, in the background peripheral. Yeah, 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 I'm going to go to heaven. That's awesome. I'm going to be with the Lord forever. But I want to know him. And I want to know the power of his presence in my life. And I want to be used by him. And I want things to happen in my life, even negative things to happen in my life, and be able to step back and go, I wonder what the Lord's doing. I wonder why he's like, what do you think's going on here? What do you think? Instead of freaking out, losing, what are we going to do? We got to do something. What, we're we're, we're going to be out of the house. No. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What's God doing? Is he trying to teach me something? Is he trying to show me something? Maybe he wants me out of the house. Maybe he wants me to move into a smaller house. Maybe he wants to send me to Timbuktu. My life belongs to him. I've told you before, I tried to get out west in the worst way, the land of dirt bikes and mountains and all this other stuff. I wanted out of Syracuse. The wages of sin is Syracuse. All right, that's what I believed. And I wanted out of here, and God shut the door. 
solidly, <laughs> soundly, again and again. Until finally it got through my head and I realized God clearly wants me here. And I'll tell you what, there's never a day that goes by that I wake up and go, stupid Pharisees, I'll leave soon. Where would I go? And Jesus, remember when he said to the disciples, will you leave too? Where would you go? Where you are is where life is. You have the words of life. Wherever Jesus is in my life, that's where I want to be. Jesus has got me in Kirkville for now, and that's where I'm going to stay. He wants that kind of fellowship with us. And so the sin offering, the grain offering, the blood offering, and the fellowship offering, and the peace offering that God wanted to have with the people. The offerer of the offering was to bring the sacrifice to the tabernacle, and in its offering, wave the offered parts before the Lord to and fro as far as he could reach, in a sense, symbolizing his desire for peace with God wherever he may go on earth. And they take the sacrifice and they wave it before the Lord and say, what's this wave offering all about? It's like, look, Lord, look, over here, I'm with you. Over here, I'm with you. Wherever I go, wherever you send me, whatever happens, Lord, me and my sacrifice of peace to be one with you, to have fellowship with you, wherever I go, I want you to be in my life here. I want you to be in my life here. The peace offering was significant in that it was shared three ways between the offerer, the Lord, and the priest. And this signified restored fellowship between man and God once sin was atoned for. And so in this peace offering, the, all of the meat of that peace offering, whether it was a bull or whether it was a ram or a goat or a sheep, all of that meat would go to the person who was making the offering. All of the fat and the, would be burned on the altar and the blood would be poured at the altar. That portion belonged to God. And the breast and the right thigh, or the shoulder as it was called, belonged to the priest. And so what is God saying here? What is God talking to them about? I have my worshiper, and I have me, and I have the person who's working as a mediator between them and me, and I want us all to have fellowship together. Remember, in that culture, when we're talking about sharing a meal, it was an intimate thing. You would never share a meal with someone that you did not consider to be a very close friend or family member, someone that you were willing and proud to be associated with. To your name and their name to be said in the same sentence. Someone that you were proud to be a part of their life and to have them as a part of your life. You would never share a meal with an enemy or an adversary or someone that you saw to be unclean or impure or a person who was not a follower of God. You would never share a meal with them. It was an intimate thing. And God is saying to the children of Israel, I want to share a meal with you. And you notice when you read through the Gospels, Jesus loved to share meals with people. I love the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. No, nobody, nothing. A wee little man was he. He climbed up into sycamore tree <laughs> for the Lord he wanted to see, right? And here's the story that we have in the Gospels of this little Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. He's a mean, nasty guy. Everyone hates the guy. And Jesus is coming down the road, and something is stirring in Zacchaeus' heart and in Zacchaeus' life where he says, I want to know about that guy. There's something about him. There's something about his word. There's something about what he's about that I need to be a part of. And I don't even necessarily know what it is, but I want in. I can't go amongst the people. They'll kill me. And I'm so short, I can't see over anybody anyway. So here is this man, this dignified man, this man who's a tax collector, this man who is a man of means, this is your banker, 
This is someone who has money. This is someone who has not climbed. He's not like running around climbing trees all day. Okay? He probably hasn't climbed a tree in 20 years since he was a kid, if he ever climbed a tree at all. But he's so desperate to just get close enough to be able to see the Savior's face that he climbs up this sycamore tree and gets himself lodged up in the branches just so he can get a good look at the Master. And remember when Jesus comes by and he... <laughs> Hi, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is like, Hi, come down. But today, I want to go to your house, and I want to have a meal with you, Master. With me? But, but I'm a tax collector. I'm a cheat. I'm a swindler. The people, my own people, hate my guts. How could you, a perfect Savior, how could you, the Messiah of Israel, want to share a meal with me? You don't understand it yet, Zacchaeus, but you will. I want to share a meal with you today. I want to have fellowship with you today. Zacchaeus, I'm not ashamed to stand before my father and say, I broke bread with Zacchaeus. I'm not ashamed to have the name of Zacchaeus mentioned in the same sentence as my name. You don't understand it yet, Zacchaeus, but you will. God wants to share fellowship with you and with I. And the mediator is no longer a priest, is it? Who's our mediator, people? Jesus. If you haven't read Hebrews, read it. If you've, not, if you've read it once, read it again. If you've read it 50 times, read it again. Because the book of Hebrews lays all of this open for us. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the mediator. Jesus Christ is our atonement. He's our salvation. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he wants to have fellowship with us. Uh, it's another important point to make is that every part of the sacrifice belongs to the Lord. But he wanted to share it with the offerer and with the priest. Verse 20 of chapter 7. If I wrote the right one down. Oops, I went forward. Uh, Leviticus 7.20. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that belongs to the Lord. Okay, now again, let me, just, let me just wrap this around a little bit. God's talking about eating the sacrifice. Okay, eating of this peace offering. When you ate this peace offering, you had to be ceremonially clean. Okay, you didn't just come in. You didn't just, you had to be ceremonially clean. So notice what he says in verse 20. The person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean that person shall be cut off from his people. The point I want you to see and the word I want you to see is belongs. If the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offerings that belongs to who? The Lord. How much of that sacrifice belongs to the Lord? All of it. Well, wait a second. I thought you said some goes to the priest and some goes to the offer. Absolutely. But it belongs to the Lord. You understand? I don't give God anything. He gives me everything. Anything that I offer up to him is something that was already given to me by him. I'm not giving him something that belongs to me. Hello? Right? Amen? I'm giving him something that belongs to him anyways. And he's given to me to be a steward of anything. It belongs to God. 
all of it belongs to the Lord. There's an interesting portion of Scripture uh, where as Saul, who was the first, the very first, if you remember, king of Israel, as he was being chosen to be the king, Samuel, the priest and prophet, he brings Saul into a hall filled with honorable men and gives instructions for a portion of meat, specifically the right thigh, to be brought to Samuel and to be eaten by Saul in their presence. It's this kind of obscure portion of scriptures. You're reading through the history of the kings of Israel, and it starts, of course, with King Saul of the tribe of Benjamin and how he was chosen. And there's this little blurb here, uh, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 24, if you want to write that down. 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 24, where Samuel tells, uh, he, has, he gathers all of these honorable men in this hall, and he, and, he, and he instructs the cook, bring to me that portion of meat that I ask you to set aside. And what portion of meat is it? It's that right shoulder. It's that right thigh. And he has Saul eat it in their presence. Now, it's kind of obscure, and it's, and it's kind of open to debate. What, what was he doing there? Well, I'll tell you what I think he was doing there. Remember that God did not want the children of Israel to have a king. Remember that? But the children of Israel cried out and said, we want to have a king like the nations around us. We want to be like the nations around us. And remember, Samuel was upset and, and downcast over it. And God said, you shouldn't be downcast. It's not you they're rejecting, Samuel. It's me. And yet God acquiesced to their request and said, okay, I'm going to give you a king. And here's what's gonna, what it's going to look like. And even though God's perfect will was not for them to have a king, he wanted to be their king. He allows them to have a king, and what I think is happening here in this portion of 1 Samuel is God is putting it on Samuel's heart, let's at least maintain this fellowship, this peace. Let there be an understanding that it's now Saul, in the way, is a sort of mediator between the people and God. And I want him to share of this peace offering as well. That's just kind of a little bonus thing there, sorry. Uh, Leviticus chapter 7 and verse 30 his own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. The fat with the breast he shall bring, that the breast may be waved as a waved offering before the Lord. But the, the key portion I want you to focus in on there is, his own hands shall bring the offerings made by fire to the Lord. That is the worshiper. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, uh, remember the story of the woman who had the issue of blood. Uh, and she had, she had a, 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 an issue of bleeding, um, of feminine bleeding, that she was unable. And Mark talks about it a little bit in detail. He talks about the fact that she was unable to be cured. And she went to doctors, and she spent all that she had trying to be cured of this disease. Because remember, in that culture and in the, re and in the religious system, if she had uh, an issue of blood flow, she was unclean. A woman was unclean as when she was during, during that time of the month. I'm just going to get a little too. She was considered unclean. And that's because of the sacredness, again, of the blood. Don't misunderstand, ladies, okay, that God was going, ew, girls. <laughs> okay? Don't misunderstand that, okay? That that's what God was doing in any way, shape, or form. Blood is sacred to God because our life is in the blood. And that flow... Okay, your menstrual cycle is a part of that circle of that life circle that God has given us. I know. Sorry. It's you know what I mean? It's where we're at. That's part. It's life. God created it that way. But there's something sacred in it. And because it was it, it was you're losing it. Okay. It's a ceremonial uncleanness. 
Okay, now I say all that just to say this. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't be with her home. She couldn't be around her husband or her kids. She was to be outside of the camp. She was as good as a leper because of this issue of blood she had. And how many times must she have cried out to God? How many times must she have said, God, why? Why? I know you don't want me to be separated from you. I know you don't want me to be separated from my family. Why? And she never understood until the day that she saw Jesus. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. I want you to notice that she was not looking for Jesus to touch her, but instead her desire was to touch him. Was to touch him. How close do you want to be? How close do you want to be to the Savior? Lord, Lord, touch me. Lord, heal me. Lord, do this. Lord, please do that. Lord, help me here. Lord, show me this. Lord, this. Lord, that. Lord, let me touch you. Lord, let me draw close enough to you to touch your presence. Lord, let me of my own will bring of my hands fellowship and peace to you, Lord. The way's been made clear because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to touch Jesus. And that's where she was at. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down because Jesus, he, he stops immediately when she touches him and he says, who touched me? And they're in a throng of people. And the disciples say, what do you mean he touched you? There's eight billion people here, Lord. And he goes, no, no, no. I'm surrounded by people. People are pushing up against me. People are shoving and I'm being tripped as I go along the way. And people are all around me, but one person touched me. And I know it. Because I felt the power go out from me, she said. One person in a crowd that said, I want to touch Jesus with result. I want to touch him that I might feel his presence in my life. One in the crowd, she says, one person. And so she, trembling and fearing, knowing what had happened to her, that she'd been healed, came and fell down before him and, he to and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, I love that, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a peace offering. Go and be in peace and be healed of your affliction. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 26 and 27, Jesus Christ says to his disciples, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Here it is, guys. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Huh. I'm not talking about happiness, all right? You know what makes me happy? Twinkies. You know what I'm saying? Wingy, dirt bikey. That make me happy. I'm happy when these things are happy. And then when there's no wings or when the stupid car won't start. Or when my boss says, you know what, you're not even worth the money I pay you. It doesn't happen to me, it was somebody else, actually. Or, 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 or my wife, you know, says something or does something, whatever. Insert your issue here. Guess what happens? Suddenly, 
There's no happiness in that, is there? There's no happiness in that. And if my heart is bound up in the happiness that the world can give me, even in the good and righteous and holy things, I'm going to have trouble. I'm going to have trouble. But instead of peace, instead of happiness, rather, if I have peace, the peace of Jesus, the peace of fellowship with God, and the Bible calls it the peace that passes understanding. In other words, people say, what do you have to be so happy about? Your life isn't perfect. You've got all these issues. What do you got to be happy about? I'm not happy about it, but I have peace. I have peace. And here's the key. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen? God bless you. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the peace that you've offered us through Jesus Christ and by the, the power and the, and the presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would make us the people that seek to touch the hem of your garment, Lord, that seek to draw closer to you, Father, knowing that the, the way has been made because of what Christ has done, what he's accomplished for us, Lord. Help us to be a people that seeks after you, Lord, that's not satisfied with the bare minimum, that's not satisfied with just a, a passing knowledge or understanding of you, Father, but help us to be a people, Lord, that want to know you and that want to have you in every part of our lives, Lord. Lord, we pray for our, our unbelief, uh, Lord. It is what it is, and sometimes we just don't feel like doing these things. And sometimes it's a struggle for us, and sometimes we want to do everything but what, the, what, what pertains to the Spirit uh, and to the Word of God. Uh, and to the light. This is who we are, Father. But we pray that you would break through all those barriers in our hearts and in our lives, Father, and you would make us the kind of people um, that you want us to be, Lord, who are seekers and who are those who seek to touch the hem of his garment, Lord, to be like him and to know him and to have intimate fellowship, Lord, with you and with our Lord. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful for a little piece of that this morning, Lord. And we're thankful for the fact that we have a freedom to come together and to worship in this place, Lord. We don't have to worry about police kicking the door down and being hauled off to some sort of detention center, Lord, or internment camp. But um, you've put us in a place where we can freely gather and worship you and study your word, Lord. We ask and pray that you would help us to forget about trying to be happy, Lord, and we would instead seek the peace that passes understanding, the peace that can only come from a relationship with you, Father. Have your way in us, Lord. Make us who you need us to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.